Before we start today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to Zencaster, which is a podcaster's best friend. Trust me when I tell you this, Zencaster is like the Shopify for podcasters. It's all you need to get up and running as a podcaster. And the best thing about Zencaster is that you get so much stuff for free. If you are planning to check out the platform, then please show your support for the Founder Thesis podcast by using this link, zen.ai slash founder thesis. That's zen.ai slash founder thesis. Hi, I am Rahul, founder and CEO of Flowbiz. Take a minute, stop. Ready to go. Let's do this. This is मार्केट but sometimes entering a market too early can be as difficult as entering it too late and crypto is one such space which has seen a roller coaster journey of ups and downs this is the story of a bunch of smart young founders who built a crypto exchange based on personal frustration with the available crypto exchanges and quickly became the fastest growing crypto exchange of the country but then came the so called crypto winter when an order from the rbi cut off the industry from access to formal banking channels causing the whole market to go into meltdown in this episode of the founder thesis podcast rahul raj talks to akshay dat about setting up india's fastest growing crypto exchange just one year after completing his btech from iit kharagpur i was born and brought up in patna that's my hometown i come from a family of all servicemen so uh, you know wanted to prepare for the iit je exams uh, in the appearing attempt i could not qualify the je exam i uh, had to convince my family to give me another chance i was fortunate enough to land at the oldest and the largest also in it kharagpur and uh, uh, the stream that i enrolled myself into was mathematics and computing one of the you know one of the life's biggest advices that i received in my first year itself was that this this uh, two years senior from my hostel told me uh, cracking the iit probably would be the biggest achievement that you have now if after your course completion this continues to be your biggest achievement that's a failure i was also fortunate enough to end up in the company of a couple of seniors who were trying to do their own startup in the edtech space i also was fortunate enough to uh, become a part of the entrepreneurship cell at iit kharagpur in the first year itself so these two things together actually opened my horizon to say that you you are now picking up a technical skill that actually does not only land up with a job but actually creates the opportunity so uh, in the two years at entrepreneurship cell and in the brief stint as an intern i was uh, vastly exposed there i began to participate in uh, competitions that were you know uh, entrepreneurship related uh, i actually was the captain of the team that qualified for halt international prize which is a social entrepreneurship challenge uh uh from india i was the only finalist team uh, in the boston regional finals i represented it kharagpur in india there uh, i set up a hmm. that, that was like a business plan competition but with a social angle that's a b plan competition but with a social angle exactly and uh, uh, i ended up setting up uh, kharagpur's first online food delivery system 
that was used by all all professors, all students, all working staff, and went beyond into the Kharagpur town also. Even though it's not that big a town, but it became the first uh, food delivery startup there. So all of that happened. We tried to scale this in uh, Hyderabad. Uh, so I dropped the opportunity to do internships in corporates like my friends did, and took along with my co-founder uh, the uh, uh, challenge to scale this in Hyderabad. But how much money did you get? Like uh, that grant? How this much was five lakh rupees. This was five lakh rupees. So uh, it wasn't it wasn't too much, but enough to uh, keep us fed and pay for the rent in the uh, uh, city of Hyderabad. And we were trying to do our best, but by then Zomato, uh, Food Panda, Swiggy, all of these guys had already exploded. Had begun to onboard restaurants in uh, uh, nearly every vicinity. So because of these parameters and because uh, uh, you know there is family pressure to sit under placements and whatnot, we chose to uh, you know uh, put a halt there and sat for placements. Both my co-founder and I, both of us got uh, uh, you know very well placed. Uh, both of us cracked day one, got placed. On your LinkedIn, I can see you were a content analyst. Like, uh, how was that like relevant for your education? So uh, the the thing was that uh, you know I was hired as a content analyst. But as part of the uh, entire onboarding journey uh, at the organization, we were made to write these shots that you read of the product. So uh, you know, I I realized that uh, this is a very niche business. It does not have very wide applicability, and uh, uh, it will also restrict uh, the dimensions in which I could see myself grow professionally. So I joined Bizongo. Then uh, I was hired as their first product manager. So, uh, Bizongo is another, uh, uh, you know, uh, tech startup by IIT Bombay and Delhi grads, and it used to be a B two B packaging procurement marketplace. That is where I met my co-founders, Aditya and Rakesh. The three of us coincidentally also had a common, uh, uh, you know, interest in the entire blockchain and Bitcoin space. So we had been following the space independently. We kept on talking about all of that. And December of 2016 is when I joined the, uh, uh, you know. Uh, Bizongo, and uh, uh, that is when we began to invest whatever little money we had into getting our hands on crypto. But uh, the problem was that uh, you know you could get it from a couple of places, and you could only get let's just say Bitcoin and Ether in India. And for any other crypto activity, you had to move that crypto to a global platform. So we began doing uh, the same thing. We became part of uh, Telegram groups, WhatsApp groups, Facebook communities, and whatnot. Began to interact with other people in the space. We began to look at blockchain challenges and began to dabble our hands into, uh, you know, uh, prototype development in the blockchain infrastructure and stuff like that. But uh, uh, we continued to trade and participate in ICOs or look at a, a bunch of other developments happening in the space in parallel. Uh, I distinctly remember that uh, the three of us over, uh, you know, lunch breaks or drink breaks or whatever we used to hang out with, uh, you know, we used to. Uh, uh, Keep on chatting about what we could do. Uh, uh, what is happening? Do you have something new for uh, uh, you know the group to learn? All of that conversation kept on happening, which is how we ended up identifying that the three of us could actually work together, and it uh, worked out beautifully. So in uh, in uh, uh, May of 2017, we quit our jobs. Uh, we set out to uh, build a crypto exchange in the country because we had identified the difference between the quality of platforms globally and what was existing in the country. And hearing from so many places and so many communities that they are fed up with, uh, uh, you know, whatever was present in India, which was practically everything was absent. 
it felt like a massive opportunity with a nat- uh, you know narrow window so uh, uh, we had to uh, uh, jump the gun on this and actually be a quick hard call so uh, the three of us along with another uh, uh, bisongo team member the four of us quit and began to uh, write the code for uh, getting the exchange up and running within a span of 3 months or so we were able to release the exchange as well uh, all four of you were like hands on coders like uh, two of them uh, were hands on developers i was more of a product ui ux and stuff like that uh, aditya aditya was more into uh, uh, getting the ops in place getting the banking in place uh, 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 together all four of us used to do all customer support so practically everybody did a bit of everything but uh, uh, when it came to writing code the two guys along with uh, uh, you know uh, rakesh and kudev that was uh, uh, the entire work for getting the exchange infrastructure in place uh, i guess at that time uh, uh, like uh, probably uh, wazirx and unocoin would have been the only other exchanges around right i don't even think wazirx it was the uh, unocoin zepay and quite secure were the platform that were available back then but they were mostly uh, you know sort of like brokers and not uh, exchanges uh, to draw that distinction so a broker would set the price for purchase and sell and an exchange would be a, an open marketplace with a complete order book so you can see the price that is getting discovered you can see the volume of trades and stuff like that and there is more of a peer driven uh, uh, market liquidity that sets the asset price rather than a broker saying this is what i will buy at and this is what i'll sell at so that was the difference so uh, coinix was launched on 25th august of uh, 2017 this became india's first open order book multi currency crypto exchange the entire tech was proprietary we wrote all of that in house in a span of 3 months uh, it grew on to become the largest in a span of 4 and a half months since its inception so by december of 2017 uh, uh, you know when we saw the first formal and proper a uh, uh, global bitcoin bull run uh, we were clocking about 265 million dollars of daily trade volume on the product and this i am talking about in a span of uh, four and a half months for some cryptocurrencies we became globally top 5 fiat to crypto exchanges so it was incredible and uh, uh, the thing was that we were the ideal customers right so we actually set out to build something that we would have wanted in an indian exchange so it wasn't as much as saying we waited for customer feedback to know what we have to build we just knew what to build and then we just kept on building it with velocity uh, uh it was incredible and uh, uh, you know i think uh the journey for coinex before we get to the discussion on flowbase but the journey for coinex i would say has been the most concise power packed uh, uh learning and intense grueling period of my life ever uh, so basically if you look at the entire uh, uh, stock market you've got multiple entities doing multiple things you've got a depository you've got a exchange you've got a regulator you've got a trade settlement and banking and what not uh in a crypto setting all of these functions are supposed to be executed by the exchange itself so you have to build wallet you have to build order book you have to build customer support you have to build banking all of that you have to do yourself and you have to make sure that uh, uh, you know this works in tandem and uh, like in well oiled machinery 24/7 because unlike a stock market that cuts off at 3:30 pm it, it was absolutely the opposite here it runs 24/7 and when india sleeps the west wakes and the activity continues 
So that way, a lot of the development and movement that happens in the West began to translate with the trickle-down in India as well. So you have to make sure that the exchange runs 24-7. Plus, you're always paranoid about security, right? Because this is dealing with people's money. And I'm giving you a sense of the scale that we were operating at. So uh, when we were doing $265 million of daily trade volume, we were onboarding uh, 20 to 40,000 customers daily. So, and all of this had zero, zero marketing spend. Totally India, totally India, all fully KYC, but uh, zero marketing spend. That is the kind of pull that uh, uh, the market had. But then uh, uh, we suffered a knee-jerk reaction from the regulator in April of 2018 when uh, uh, they came out with the directive to uh, hamstring and block formal banking channels from uh, uh, dealing in cryptocurrency trades. That resulted into account closures, transactions getting blocked, notices getting served and whatnot. It was quite, uh, it was quite incredible and uh, quite scary, to be honest, because here you are in a, a massively growing business. And then all of a sudden, it feels like the ground is slipped beneath it because you are now in no longer access of any banking infrastructure. And it, uh, uh, in our minds, the problem was so huge because we were the first and the largest exchange in the country. Uh, the problem was, the problem felt so huge to us that what happens if our, all of our accounts get frozen and then you are in no access of your own cash, which means you can't pay for rent, electricity and salary. That was, that was uh, uh, you know, uh, pretty hard. So we, uh, uh, you know, experimented and pivoted with a couple of models internally. So peer-to-peer -peer trading, crypto-to-crypto market trading. We did all of that. But uh, uh, soon realized that uh, in absence of banking infrastructure, this isn't a business that, uh, uh, you know, VID is set out to build. So I think uh, that is when it became clear to us that uh, uh, till the time there is a proper licensing regime and a framework, all of which we are more than happy to comply by. In fact, we did out of our way efforts to make sure that we were heard and represented. We offered to uh, build dashboards we offered to build api connections we offered to self-regulate because we were already doing a lot of these things we worked with industry participants and uh, uh, you know trade groups to uh, offer all of that knowledge and actually uh, the idea was that if you look at how this blockchain ecosystem is developing exchanges probably will always be at the epicenter of all of this blockchain development once you are able to convert your fiat to any kind of digital token you will then be in access of web3 products so that, that layer has to be there. So we actually believe that from the exchange, which actually definitely is a cash cow business, but from the exchange infrastructure, we will be able to develop the ecosystem that can help India leapfrog from wherever it was to wherever it can be. And uh, actually put, put it on the frontier of the uh, you know, uh, technological map on the globe. And we could actually do a lot of this because we are a 1.4 billion people. So that way, this could have had tremendous impact. It, it's by far the last market uh, across all sectors. So that way, I think, uh, you know, that was the expectation, but uh, uh, we couldn't really sustain that in absence of licensing framework. That continues to be the case that plagues this industry even today. We personally continue to be big believers in the blockchain tech, and uh, it fundamentally wants to redefine how accountability works, how transparency of information works, how store of value and transfer of value can be more efficient and uh, democratized. So it, it fundamentally challenges the current infrastructure, which means it has to be looked at with even more vigor.
if we were all moving forward as a as a global economic setup so i think that is what is uh, required in this industry but uh, having went having gone through all of this uh, in 2019 summer is when we shut the exchange business down and pivoted to flow biz if you like to hear stories of founders then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion dollar businesses just search for the founder thesis podcast on any audio streaming app like spotify gana apple podcasts and subscribe to the show before you start on flow with i have questions on the exchange biz so uh, did you raise funding for coinex or was it all like funded through transaction value like uh, it, it definitely it was generating a lot of cash but uh, in the early days we actually did two rounds so one seed and one pre series a we did two rounds of uh, institution in fact the interesting thing is that <laughs> pre launch of the exchange when we went to indian vcs all of them said no nobody was willing to touch nobody was willing to entertain people wanted to learn and uh, people enjoyed the chats if it's ready nahi hai yeah we don't understand the space well enough uh, uh do we have color on what the regulatory framework is going to be for this there were all sorts of questions all legit but <laughs> my expectation was that if for a young team looking to raise a small sum of capital if that kind of a bet will not be taken by the guardians of or uh, you know enablers of uh, uh, venture businesses then who else do i go to with the expectation of getting some cash for uh, setting up a blockchain business it it felt a little weird and disappointing also but then uh, we were able to raise a couple of rounds uh, uh, both in 2017 one in october and one in december back to back uh, we were able to do uh, a couple of rounds there and uh, the the business was generating cash so uh, before we could look at a mega scale expansion diversification and what not the knee jerk reaction actually set us back Yeah, so yeah, yeah. obviously no investors wanted to touch it after that, right? Okay. Now, uh, when you uh, so you essentially uh, told me that compared to Uno Coin and Wazirex, you were building a peer-to-peer exchange. So, uh, how did you build liquidity for that? I mean, won't you need a lot of supply for that to work for for people to get good pricing there? absolutely and i was expecting this question also uh, there are two three parameters here one you build a killer product so no matter you are a buyer or a seller you would want to be part of a killer product or use a killer product so that automatically began to attract a lot of folks the second was that uh, we kept the sell side free so we only monetize on the buy side so sellers had incentive because they are not getting charged but they are still able to make arbitrage and the third was that that encourages liquidity and the third was that we began to dabble into uh, all the pools that existed no matter how discreet to actually uh, find people physically go meet them convince them speak with them try to get them on board to generate initial liquidity and uh, given that we were a multi currency exchange uh, even if it began p- picking up let's say in one coin automatically it can have a trickle down effect for the other markets also <laughs> so because you were in these telegram groups and also you had access to people with coins and you could convince them to right right got it okay hmm. and then once you 
then that becomes a flywheel. Like once you have liquidity, then everyone comes for liquidity, which again further increases liquidity. Absolutely, absolutely. And we were very fast with uh, very fast with deployments. So whether that's supporting a hard fork or whether that's listing a new coin or whether that's opening a new corridor, Coinex used to be uh, uh, the exchange at the top of all of this. So if a, if a coin gets listed at some other place in the world, and if that is a coin that we believe is a good asset for people to actually uh, play around with, then within a span of two to four days, you would find that coin on Coinex also. So that way, what happens globally quickly began to happen in India also. And that speed of execution was uh, massively impressive. <laughs> and again, this was driven because you would have wanted to buy those coins. So you built it with your needs in mind. Mm. Uh, you said uh, new corridor. What what does that mean? New corridor? So, uh, so uh, let's just say between coins, can you also trade, uh, let's just say Bitcoin, Ether, Bitcoin, Ripple and stuff like that. So those corridors you can open or no, that was also contingent on how this would drive liquidity. So even if let's just say direct, direct INR corridor is not supported for a cryptocurrency or a digital asset, but it is supported in a crypto to crypto corridor. And if you're able to get one coin with fiat, then that market automatically has, or that corridor automatically has liquidity. Got it. Got it. Okay. And uh, what do you mean by supporting a hard fork, like for people who are not from the space just to... So uh, what happens is that uh, uh, in a blockchain, basically it's a global consensus, right? So on the code that is deployed for that functioning of the blockchain, if there is to uh, make a fundamentally different deployment or development of that blockchain which can result into massive upgrade then uh, uh, protocols have the opportunity to fork what that means is that uh, you can split that asset into two different assets uh, it can split in one is to one ratio or it can split in a different ratio also depending on how that uh, 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 hard fork goes about but let's let's assume that it's a one to one uh, uh, ratio then that way the old set of code will continue to run that uh, uh, blockchain and the new set of code that gets deployed will create a new token and can get a separate uh, uh, blockchain of its own all powered by that same mechanism and that same infrastructure with the difference of the code that is deployed but till that uh, point of uh, uh, diversification the blocks continue to be the same and the transactions continue to be recorded the same way and then at the time of the hard fork you have a new asset that belongs to you. If you have, let's just say, one coin, you will have one more coin. So if there is a hard fork and you support that, then that means people now automatically have in that ratio another asset that belongs to them. Okay, okay. And uh, uh, give me examples of hard forks. Like w what are some hard forks which happened? Like So Bitcoin went into a hard fork and created Bitcoin Cash, for example. So this happened in 2017, September or October, if I'm, if I'm not wrong. So Bitcoin went into a protocol level upgrade and that split the chain into two parts. Bitcoin continued to be Bitcoin and then there was another chain called Bitcoin Cash. It was split one, one to one. So everybody that had X number of Bitcoin had X number of Bitcoin Cash as well. And then it trades as a separate asset itself. Okay. But I think Bitcoin Cash is not such a big deal, right? Like uh, nobody talks of Bitcoin Cash prices and... Yeah, yeah, not not too many people talk about it. It still continues to be, uh, you know, of value. Uh, that's for sure, and it continues to be of uh, at least decent value even today. But uh, uh, 
one thing that is very interesting to point out here is that it is all about perceptions and uh, uh, you know collective trust because no- nothing has intrinsic value of its own including the currencies that we use today uh, the fiat currencies so if let's just say uh, the entire globe believes that the original bitcoin is the bitcoin that all of us value then obviously bitcoin cash even after the split will not have as much value as compared to the original btc mm-hmm. okay okay and um Uh, how does uh, you know th- there is this concept of wallet hot wallet cold wallet and stuff like that and you know can you explain that like when people uh, come to the platform and bring their crypto with them uh, like the, is that stored by you in the platform or like how does that happen like that storage of uh, like you know the work that a depository does in a traditional stock exchange yes that you have to do because uh, Bit, uh, blockchains are pretty complicated to a uh, common layman if you look at a transaction hash or a wallet address on a blockchain uh, it's it's not something that you can remember it's not something that is intuitive to understand it's alphanumeric string very long string and uh, uh, you know uh, to make it so secure it runs those kinds of encryption algorithms so from a layman ux point of view it's highly suboptimal it continues to be that problem even today there there are protocols trying to solve that at some level uh, with let's just say uh, names that you can attach to wallets and stuff like that but still uh, uh, you know not a problem that has been solved in full uh, so since most of the people were entering the crypto space that time uh, you needed to bring out an infrastructure and interface that people would be intuitively uh, open to adopting so that way you had to build the entire wallet architecture yourself we did that ourselves and what you are asking has two dip, uh, two fronts one you are talking about the hot cold uh, warm wallet architecture and the other you are talking about how it feels for people what is the role of the depository and stuff like that so it's basically a colorless pool that gets accumulated when all people are trading on the same uh, uh, you know market what is the uh, i mean colorless pool why do you use this word colorless here uh, what i mean is that uh, there is a jackpot and everybody is trying to uh, you know uh, exchange values within this jackpot so you and i along with a million other people put our btc here or you and i along with a million other people put our inr here for the exchange it becomes a consolidated pool with a representation of the wallet balances so when we treat the consolidated wallet amounts that is a colorless pool we have on the exchange a total of these many bitcoins these many inr rupees and stuff like that but there is a there is a representation for individual account holders to say this is the amount of btc you have this is the amount of rupees that you have in the wallet so that is how it's constructed it allows for faster settlement and uh, uh, you know secure trading because then you are able to uh, uh, maintain all of this in such a way that uh, the largest part of the entire pool is always offline so uh, in anticipation for any kind of attacks or any kind of leakages or any kind of misgivings uh, on the product you are able to uh, uh, secure let's just say 99.9% of the total holdings so at most at risk is let's just say 0.01% or 0.1% that you have exposed and that has been exposed only in the interest of the customer to be able to make an instantaneous withdrawal if they were to take their crypto from an exchange and port it to some other exchange 
otherwise it would have to go through the offline uh, uh you know infrastructure and to do that manually for uh, uh, lakhs of customers was absolutely painful so you maintain this combination of hot and cold wallets that suffices for the immediate use case of instantaneous withdrawals of cryptos while ensuring that there is massive safeguarding protocols for the protection of the total pools hmm. so you could do 99% uh, offline because people were transacting with each other therefore there was no need for that money to flow out of coinex it remained with coinex within your it's it, it just the representations changed like uh, but the total amount stayed in so so you didn't really need to uh, you only needed to take care of withdrawals otherwise regular transactions you didn't need so that's why it could be offline uh, anecdotally for coinex i can tell you that uh, the inflow which is the deposit of cryptos was always higher than the withdrawals so once people brought their cryptos in they actually kept their cryptos on coinex they had comfort of using the wallet they had comfort of treating this as an investment platform they had comfort of treating this as a trading platform uh, doing uh, rapid tradings and what not all of those things were possible uh, for uh, uh, you know investors and traders so that way i think uh, uh, you know the deposits were always larger than withdrawals by a large margin so that also enabled us to do this more properly hmm. okay and you said this was like a cash cow or a cash generating business what was the uh, what, what's the maths of the cash like what what is it that you charge and is it per transaction or what is it like yeah per buy trade it used to vary from uh, uh, 0.1 to 0.3% of the volume okay so okay okay every time someone buys so that point uh, 0.1 or 0.03 amount uh, uh, goes into your uh, uh, your wallet so to say and, and the remaining is transferred to the buyer hmm. okay so but your earning would also be in crypto then you could convert that crypto into rupee or was your earning in rupees like this is buy side this is buy side monetization right so for buying you are paying inr okay but what if it's a corridor like if someone is buying ethereum using bitcoin that is exactly that is exactly the reason why only to only crypto to crypto in absence of banking cannot work because if you are only earning in crypto then how do you pay salaries right because we had a we had a massively strict policy of nobody including the founders can trade on coinex so all of the team members who were working at coinex none of them had accounts on coinex so it was purely purely transparent and in fact uh, we meant such we, you know we maintained such a uh, discretion that apart from the core leadership team people didn't even have uh, ideas of the next coins that were uh, going to get listed because it can manipulate a lot of that uh, uh, activity right uh, so we used to maintain yeah so we used to maintain that high levels of secrecy and uh, 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 you know uh, integrity for the exchange which was also something that our traders and users not just knew but massively appreciated even today we keep on getting messages when is coinex coming back why don't you restart coinex we get that even in 2021 so when you took the call to shut down coinex uh, like did you have cash left over to help you in your next venture or had it run out by then no we had cash uh, we had cash and we had the support of the team also uh, which is why we had the luxury of taking a step back to reevaluate and reassess what opportunity we can go after next so did you like shut down that entity and start a new entity or uh, just pivoted the business no we didn't we didn't we uh, shut down that entity and moved to a new entity altogether and transported all that we could uh, 
the the interesting thing about where we are today and what we are doing today is that it's a 180 degree flip from what we were doing back then it was building for the future in a frontier tech space uh, uh, you know in a decentralized environment and what not and we are now building in the traditional financial services space for a very uh, traditional audience segment uh, uh on the uh, on one hand the entire crypto and blockchain space promises for uh, you know a global uh, uh, footprint and on the other hand today this business is uh, largely focused on uh, uh, the indian small businesses so it's a 180 degree flip in so many respects but uh, uh, you know i'm glad that uh, we had the opportunity to do this because we continue to be inspired and uh, excited about what we are doing today Stay tuned for part 2 of this conversation where Rahul talks about building India's leading fintech platform for SMEs, Flowbiz. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books and drama. Visit the podium.in that is t h e p o d i u m.in for a complete list of all our shows. Before we end the episode I want to share a bit about my journey as a podcaster. I started podcasting in 2020 and in the last 2 years I've had the opportunity to interview more than 250 founders who are shaping India's future across sectors. If you also want to speak to the best minds in your field and build an enviable network then you must consider becoming a podcaster. and the first step to becoming a podcaster starts with zencaster which takes care of all the nuts and bolts of podcasting from remote recording to editing to distribution and finally monetization if you are planning to check out the platform then please show your support for the founder thesis podcast by using this link zen.ai/founderthesis that's zen.ai/founderthesis